ಭದ್ರಂಕರ್ಣೇಭ್ಯಸೃಣುಯಾಮೇವಾಭದ್ರಂಪ್ಯೇಮಾಕ್ಷಭೀಯತ್ರಸ್ತನೂಭಿ ಸ್ವಸ್ತೀನಪುಷಾವಿಶ್ವೇದಸ್ತೀನೂಬೃಹಸ್ಪತಿರ್ದಾಹಾಂತಿಹರಿಯೋ may we hear with our ears what is auspicious may we see with our eyes what is auspicious while praying with steady limbs may we attain the life span allotted to us may indra bestow well-being on us may pushan the god of earth who is all knowing bestow well-being on us may garura the destroyer of evil bestow well-being on us may brihaspati also Vestor well-being on us. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. So before proceeding to the mantras, the new mantras, let us have a quick recapitulation of the mantras which we studied in the last class. The fourth mantra. Let us start with the fourth mantra of the first chapter of the third part of Mundaka Upanishad. the knower of the brahman is described in this mantra that who is the best among the knower of brahmans not knower of brahman prano hi esha sarvabhutair vibhati vijanan vidwan bhavate na ativadi atmakrida atmaratihi kriravan esha brahma vidam varishtha so prana hi esha sarvabhutair vibhati so this one this the same vital force the one vital force which shines divergently in all beings and it is not something an intellectual knowledge one who has realized that vijanan vidwan bhavate na ativadi so it's not mere intellectual knowledge one who came down from the spiritual realization to find that the same atman which is within him is actually the brahman the one the the self which dwells in all the brahman came from brih dhatu which means brihat the all pervading the all pervading conscious principle is finding expression divergently through all the beings that he has realized after coming down from the realization it's not mere intellectual knowledge that's what has been indicated by the term vidwan vidwan means one who has really known it knowing this one attains the realization and what happens then he is no more ativadi na ativadi his speech never transcends his realization what is meant when i am i use the word brahman we use the word atman we use the word god 
we don't know what actually it is. It is something beyond our realization. But as for a knower of Brahman, who has realized by transcending this world of duality, by transcending the mind through that spiritual experience, when he comes down from that, he sees that it is the Brahman and Brahman alone, which is pervading the entire creation. So that vision doesn't in any way allow him to transcend his speech. It comes from his realization. This Ativada has two meaning. The other meaning is that when I say a, an, an object, a pot, a pot, it is Ativada. Why it is Ativada? Actually, it is not a pot. It is the Atman, it is a Brahman and Brahman alone, which is appearing as the pot. But as I don't see the essence, I speak something which is not in any way indicating the reality of it. So my speech is transcending the reality of the object. That actually it is the self and self alone. So the one who is the knower of self is in no way interested in the details. The science speaks of details. The science takes the sensate world to be real. It takes the credentiality of the senses to be the absolute. Taking that, all the discoveries, all the inventions are based on the credentiality of the senses. But Vedanta questions the credentiality of the senses. That what I am seeing, is it the absolute reality or is it just a consensus reality? I am hallucinating the way in the same way you are also hallucinating. And all our hallucinations has the majority. And that's why we all give the consensus. We all say this is real. So we, for us, what we see is this world of name and form is just a consensus reality. It's not the absolute reality. As we have given that example again and again, when I am seeing with that one example, we will understand that all our sensual perceptions is actually a projection of the self in a particular way, in a limited way, in, in, within some limited adjuncts, it is finding expression to give us a sensation that this, this object has such and such, uh, what you say, the adjunct, such and such uh, adjectives. Just to say that the red flower, can I ever know what the flower is in essence? No. What I know is its redness, is its smell, is its texture, is its shape. These are all adjuncts. These are the adjuncts which define the flower. But what the flower by itself is, we can never know. Whenever I have to say a flower, I have to say with all the adjectives that it is red, it has a nice fragrance, it is of such and such shape, it has such and such texture. All those adjuncts defines the flower. In essence, what it is, I don't know. Now, what all those adjuncts are? Are they really the essence of that flower? Is the flower itself red? Is the flower itself having that fragrance? So even the science will say you that it's not so. The, that's why the Vedanta now st stands in a very strong footing because it is based on scientific experiences. What the scientific experience, experience, uh, uh, result is, experience speaks of? 
that the redness is not out there when I see a red flower. It is not out there. What it is there, I don't know. When the light falls on it, the light has no colors. It has a various wavelengths. All those wavelengths of light fall on that flower. All are absorbed. A particular wavelength is reflected back. That also has no color. It comes and strikes your eyes. The function of the light wave stops on your retina. It doesn't reach your brain. The moment it touches the retina, as per the color of light, as per the wavelength of light, it gets converted into a particular uh, frequency of nerve impulse, optic nerve impulse. It is this optic nerve impulse, which is going to the dark section of your so-called brain, which is the organ of your mind. It is not the mind, it's the organ through which the mind is as if working. So, and where it is going, there is no light. It is completely dark. It is just few nerve impulse going there. That nerve impulse, when the conscious self is activating the mind, the same mind of a dead body in no way is going to perceive anything. Or even when I'm in deep sleep, when the mind is as such not connected to my this consciousness, it perceives nothing. But the moment the consciousness is in association with the mind. Now the mind is active. All those colors are in the mind. When the self activates the mind, the color is projected. The moment it gets stimulated by that, part, that particular type of nerve impulse, the color is as if projected. The self in the form of the color is being projected to envelop that flower to give you the sense that it is red. So it is the self alone which is being, which is finding expression as the world being limited by various adjuncts. Why is this very, why it is limitation? Because a particular wavelength only reveals a particular aspect of the entire reality. It's not the entire reality which is finding expression. It is just limited. The self which has infinite possibilities it's of that infinite possibilities, only a particular aspect of that infinite possibilities is being revealed through that perception. So that way all these things which I'm seeing is the self and self alone being limited by all the so-called, this various limited, limiting adjuncts to give me the sense of this world of name and form. The one who has gone to that realization and comes back he sees the world as the self and self alone, finding expression as the as finding is, is, is being projected as this world of name and form. So he sees the self and self alone. As in the Chandokya Upanishad, it has been stated, Yatha Somya Ekena Mritpindena Sarvang Mrinmayang Vigyatang Syat Vacharambhanang Vikaranamadheyam Mrittika ityeva satyam. What it is speaking of? That with clay, when the potter makes various pots, some may be a tumbler, some may be a pot, some may be a dish. There can be thousands of various types of potteries, utensils. 
as per the form, I may designate it with a particular name. As per its as per its utility, I may give a particular name. As per its utility, as per its shape. But is in essence, it is clay. So as per our day-to-day -day activities concerned, as per the Vyavahara is concerned, it has some name and form. But authentica, its reality is clay and clay alone. So the one who has came down from the realization is no more baffled by the so-called name and form. He sees the essence behind each and everything. To give a, another example to understand this idea, that when I see a snake in the rope, because of the twilight hours, I'm seeing it as a snake. As long as I see this, it as a snake, all the analysis about the nature of the snake, that what's its color, what length it is, uh, that what type of snake it is, whether it is venomous or not, all this research can go on as long as I am being deluded that the, it is a snake. But the one who is not seeing it as a snake, the one who is seeing the rope as the rope, for him, does all those details have any meaning? He is not seeing at all. He's seeing the rope as rope. He knows there is no snake at all. Then how come the analysis of all the such details come into existence? The one who is deluding it as a snake, he is taking the credentiality of his senses as true and that hallucination becomes a reality. And for him, the details do matter. Just the way the science, after taking the credentiality of the senses, whatever is being projected, now it is bothered about the details. But Vedanta is bothered about the essence. It's in, not in search of the details. The thing which is projected, which as such has no substantial reality, why should I waste time in just finding out the details? I am quite convinced of the fact it is the self and self alone, which is being projected as this universe. And it is temporary. As long as my ignorance persists, it appears as that. When the ignorance is gone, I am the self alone. That is my ultimate nature. So why to waste time in this temporal existence by analyzing the world? As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, the one who wants to test the mango is in no way bothered in, in counting the branches and the leaves of a tree. So he wants to taste the essence. So the one who wants to taste the essence is in no way bothered about the details. So what happens in his life? His life becomes totally permeated by the divine. He speaks only of that essence of the self, which is palpably perceived by him as the only reality. All other speech falls off as in another Upanishad, it has been indicated, Anya Vacha Vimunchata. All other speech falls off. So he never speaks anything apart from the self. That is one of the meaning of Ativada. And another meaning of Ativada is, as we indicated, that as he has realized the self, that the self is finding expression, is manifesting as the entire universe. This is no more just an intellectual conviction. It's a matter of realization. So his speech in no way transcends the realization. 
So these are the two meanings of the word Ativada. So the one who is established in the self, whose speech doesn't transcend the realization, then what are the, uh, the signs and symptoms which finds expression through his life? What are the behavioral traits which find expression through his life? That is being indicated in the next line. That the realization is something subjective. I cannot know what other person's realization is. But because of the realization, his behavioral pattern changes. From the behavioral pattern, I can some I can as I can assume that he is a realized soul. So what are those behavioral patterns which indicates that he is a realized soul? So in Vedanta, they speak of these two types of uh, anubhuti, realization. One is Swasangvedya and another is Parasangvedya. Swasangvedya is your own subjective realization that no one can relate to what I'm feeling within. But my behavioral trait speaks of that others uh, find this, uh, this others, uh, it, it's it, my behavioral pattern reveals to others. It reveals to others what actually my realization is. That is Parasangvedya. So what are those behavioral patterns which finds expression through the realized soul? In the next line it says, Atma Krira, Atma Rati, Kriravan, Esha, Brahma, Vidam, Varishtha. So now these words are very important. Krira. The Krira means, what is the difference between Krira and Rati? When I am enjoying while playing with others there is someone else just in a sports there are so many other players so that is krira and rati i am alone deeply thinking of something some some pleasurable thing which i have enjoyed previously i'm just thinking and that is giving me delight so when there is no one else with you to enjoy the bliss, you are enjoying the bliss within, that is Ratihi. So what it speaks of, Atma Krira, Atma Rati. So a man who has realized, he has been established in the self, when he's relating to the external world, he doesn't see X, Y, Z. He sees the self and self alone. And so his behavior pattern is totally overhauled, totally is it has been totally revolutionized. He's seeing the self in each and every being and his behavior pattern that way is, cons- is totally overhauled, totally changed. There is no question of self-interest, selfishness. There's a question, there is only a worshipful attitude, seeing the self as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Shiva Jnani Jiva Shiva. When you see the Shiva in everyone, then the, your entire life becomes a worship. The worship no more remains a part-time affair. You just don't restrict your worship to just a particular part of your day, to particular acts, to particular rituals, to particular meditation process. Throughout the day, with whom I am interacting, whatever I am doing, it becomes a worship. That means but that's what's meant by the word Atma Krira. So when I'm moving out, I see the self and I am worshipful towards the entire creation. Atma Rati. When I am with myself, within myself, I am again 
enjoying the self, my, my own, the essence of my being, by diving deep into it, by associating with it, I am in full bliss. So that is Atmarati. The next word is Kriravan. Now for us, those who have not realized, they can try to be Atma Krira and Atmarati through endeavor. I try to see the self in others, though I am actually not seeing. I'm just trying. It is my sadhana. Atma Rati, when I am alone, I'm trying to contemplate on myself. So there is a question of endeavor. But Krira Vaan speaks, one is an adept. As he has realized, there is no endeavor in his life. That spontaneously he is Atma Krira, spontaneously he is Atma Rati. That when he is dealing with the world, spontaneously he is Atma Krira. He is seeing the self in all and relating to the world by seeing the self in everyone. And when he is within himself, spontaneously he is deep within himself, enjoying the bliss of the self. So that's what is meant by the word Kriravan. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Je jane tar An adept dancer never just puts his step out of the rhythm. His steps is never falls out of the rhythm. As he is an adept dancer, he spontaneously his legs will be on the rhythm. The one who is learning, he has to place his uh, steps on the rhythm consciously with each and every attempt should be there to consciously be in the rhythm. But for the Kriravan, he's an Arab dancer. Just the, whenever the music is there, his steps will fall in rhythm spontaneously. That speaks of Kriravan. That he's in the spontaneity, he's something which finds expression through his life. He doesn't do anything, calculate, just in a, he doesn't calculate and do anything. It happens spontaneously. What he does becomes the ideal for others. His spontaneous life becomes the sadhana for others. So that's what is being indicated by the word Kriravan. So this spiritual practices become something spontaneous for him. When you find such a person in whom that spontaneity is finding expression, know it for certain that he has known the self. This behavioral pattern shows that deep within him, he is a realized soul. That is his sasangvedya. He has realized that. And that is finding expression through the behavioral pattern. So that's being indicated in the fourth mantra of the first chapter of third part of Mundakopanishad. So the knower of Brahma is being described in that. The, who is the best among the knower of Brahman? The one who has realized for whom the this the uh, spiritual truth is no more a concept, it is his realization, and that realization has changed his behavioral pattern. He sees not the world of name and form, but the self and self alone, within and without, and that becomes a spontaneity for him, and that spontaneity becomes his nature. For him, it is just his nature. To imitate that nature becomes the spiritual practice for the others who are novices, who are the aspirants. So that's what being indicated in the fourth mantra. So the next mantra, the fifth mantra. So it is the fifth and the sixth will speak of the disciplines that can take us to that realization. Where the truth has been praised, uh, very, very highly it has been praised. 
along with truth, some other practices also has to be inculcated to get established in the knowledge of Brahman. So what are those various practices which we have to inculcate in our life to get established in Brahman to progress spiritually is being indicated in the fifth mantra. So what's fifth mantra speaks? Satyena labhya tapasahi esha atma samyak jnanena brahmacharyena nityam antasharire jyotirmayaha hi shubraha yah pashyanti yatah kshina dosha. So the Atman is self-luminous. Jyotir Maya. He Shubra. It's pure. And where it resides, it's everywhere. But in our life, we can realize the self in our heart. Yapashanti Antasharire in the cave of your heart. Just light is everywhere. But to see it, I need my eyes. Eyes is the locus which helps me to see that non-local light. Here is the locus point, which helps me to see the non-local sound. It's everywhere. Similarly, the self is all pervading, but in, in our life, we can realize it in the cave of our heart, in the center of our emotion, where the self is revealed in the antasharire, in the cave of your heart. And that self is the self-luminous one. Nothing illumines it. Because of it, everything is illumined. So Jyotirmaya, Ishubra, it is beyond all attributes. It is pure. The world as a suggestion, when activates the mind, the self finds expression as limited through the various objects. So, but that limitation doesn't adhere to the self. The self by itself is always pure. Just when the, a light, if I look at the light by wearing a colored glass, all the things appear to be tainted. But does it in any way taint the light? No. The light cannot in no way, in no way tainted. It is my this, uh, instrument of perception that is actually tainted, that, that has the taint, which makes the light to, to be tainted, but it is not tainted. When I have jaundice, as in the scriptures, they say, I see everything yellow. Light, actually everything is not yellow. It is my own uh, dosha, my own uh, abnormalities, my own dross. That gives the appearance of all those limiting absence. But the self is always pure. It is shubra. And how it is that, sh that shubra, the self, which is pure, which is self-luminous, can be seen in the cave of your heart when all the dosha has fallen off, when all the uh, is the so-called sin, the impurities have fallen off. Who can see it? Yataya, a sannyasin. A sannyasin doesn't mean just the one who has left his hearth and home. The real sannyasin is the one who is established in renunciation. From his mind, all the things has fallen off is detached, that can be possible even one who is living a householder's life. It is difficult, but it is possible. So Yataya, the one who has renounced, that renunciation alone 
is the criteria for realization as has been spoken of in the scripture tyage naikena amritatvamanasho only by tyaga through renunciation that purity can be attained and purity alone is the thing which can give us the revelation of the truth as even in the bible we find jesus is saying blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god the purity when we have attained that purity when all the dosha has fallen off how can it be fallen off by the practice of satya satyena labhya tapasa through austerity this austerity doesn't mean all those uh, physical austerities by which we torture ourselves like standing in one leg here shankaracharya is very specific he told tapas means controlling the senses controlling the mind concentrating the mind that alone is tapas to constantly endeavor to withdraw our senses from the sense objects and to focus the mind on atman that's the tapas when i when we follow the truth the path of truth satya we follow the when we adopt tapas samyagyana we try to samyagyana means the knowledge in totality what's the knowledge in totality it is a self and self alone which is finding expression as this world of name and form so that is samyagyana so when i try to relate to the world with that knowledge my life becomes a worship and that's what has to be adopted as our spiritual practice it's not just meditation while sitting in my meditate in my <clears throat> in my so called the meditation mat throughout the day whatever i am doing as if it is my encounter with the self with that attitude we have to uh, interact with the world in all our activities and that is samyagyana and brahmacharya means you are so much absorbed so intently absorbed in your contemplation of yourself the brahman that other things naturally falls off you don't have to forcefully control your senses this uh, senses that as sri ramakrishna used to say the more you go towards the east the west automatically falls behind brahmacharya speaks of that that as you have adopted the spiritual practices wholeheartedly with full sincerity the other things the all the so called the temporal pleasures of life they fall off naturally so the one who is established in that that's why the word nityam is important it's not that by fits and starts i do that uh, as per temperament today i do again tomorrow i just lead my ordinary life that way it would do it has to be done nityam incessantly all this practice has to go on incessantly incessantly continuously without any gap continuously assiduously for that what is required this 3p which swami used to say purity patience perseverance we have to try again and again that speaks of the perseverance it won't happen in a day to not get frustrated and to continue with our practice without any gap speaks of the patience and purity fix speaks of the repeated attempt to keep the mind pure so when we do this then only that the realization which has been spoken of in the previous mantra that 
becomes something karatala amlakavat, as Shankaracharya says. It becomes something like a fruit in your palm, as palpable as a fruit in your palm. So that's being indicated in the fifth mantra that we have uh, just uh, were studying even in the last class. So next today, let us enter into the sixth mantra. Here we will find that after indicating that the four practices in the sixth mantra, the satya, the practice of truthfulness is given the highest importance. It has been highlighted in the sixth mantra. And just by practicing satya, that no other spiritual practices should, uh, are required just by practicing satya. It may not give you atyantika mukti, that immediate liberation may not be possible just by practicing satya. For that, of course, you need contemplation, you need to contemplate on Brahman, Atman, and all other practices has to be included. But if, you, if I just practice truthfulness in this life, I never deviate from truth. I forget about all spirituality. I never deviate from truth. I am just established in truth. I never compromise with truth. That alone can take you to a very higher realm of spiritual evolution. From where there is no return. Gradually from there through the process of Krama Mukti gradual liberation, you can attain the absolute gradually. First, you go to some higher plane of existence. From there, you continue with your spiritual contemplation to at last, with the end of the cycle, to get liberated ultimately. So that's the Krama Mukti is possible just by practicing Satya and Satya alone. That has been indicated in the sixth mantra. Let us read the mantra and then we will go to the discussion. Satya meva jayate na anritam satyena pantha vitata devayana yena akramanti rishaya hi aptakama yatra tat satyasya paramam nidhanam satya meva jayate Na anritam. Truth alone prevails. Not falsehood. Anritam. This anritam, what came from that? As you know, ritam. Ritam means truth. Why ritam means truth? When the absolute reality finds expression as the universe, it finds expression in a particular rhythm, as particular laws, whether it is physical laws whether it is moral laws. What are laws that which can which we can never break? If I can break a law, it is no more a law. We say that, I, that there's such and such person has broken law, but the law can never be broken. In our attempt to break laws, we break ourselves. You can never break law. If I can break a law, it's not a law. Just to give an example that when I say that gravitation, the law of gravitation, it's a law. No one can break it. If I say I don't believe in gravitation, I'm not going to fly. If I jump out of a 20-story building thinking that there is no gravitation, I'm going to crash and die. I cannot break the law. Similarly, the scripture says, even like the physical laws, even this, the entire world is bound by the rhythm, the absolute 
finds expression as the laws. Just to give a common example, take an iron bar. It's not a magnet, but potentially it is a magnet. It can be a magnet. When it is converted into a magnet, if I keep another magnet near it, and this iron bar, because of magnetic induction, gets converted into magnet. What happens? All the dipoles, magnetic dipoles, which were all scattered. As they were scattered, one magnetic dipole was negating the other. Now, when I keep another magnet near it, all the dipoles get aligned in such a way that the north poles are, all the north poles are in one direction and the south poles are in another direction. So the iron bar now behaves like a magnet. Now I find an expression of Shakti in it, energy. But that energy is not chaotic. You will find that it follows certain laws. The magnetic laws are being followed by it. No one can break it. That's the rhythm. So rhythm speaks of truth. The laws are the truth. So here what it is saying that truth alone prevails, not falsehood. Know it for certain, if you resort to falsehood in your attempt to break the law, you will be breaking yourself. Truth alone prevails, not falsehood. So rhythm is the truth. Unrhythm is the falsehood. Un is falsehood is which is not the truth. So the falsehood can never win. Truth alone prevails. Satyena pantha vitata devayana. So this word devayana is important. In our scriptures, it is being indicated that after death, we generally, if we have done good deeds, there are two paths for transmigration. One is the pitriyana and one is the devayana. Pitriyana means we have done good deeds, but not spiritually evolved. So we will go to the realm where our forefathers are and enjoy some time with them before we again come back to this world of this mortal existence. And another is the Devayana. Pitriyana is the world of the forefathers and Devayana is the world of contemplation where you have already to certain extent uh, practice spirituality and you have evolved to a certain extent, though you have not attained the ultimate spiritual realization, you have attained particular spiritual evolution. So you need not come back to this world. You can continue in that world with your contemplation. And from there, the contemplation can lead you to the ultimate realization. And then you get merged with the absolute. And that's the process called Krama Mukti. So those who follow the path of Devayana, not all, though it depends on the level of contemplation. To give an, under, to give an uh, example, you will understand what Devayana speaks of. In this life, there are persons who have already developed a type of absorption, particular absorption. When they sit for meditation, they get so absorbed that everything falls off. It do speaks of quite high state of illumination. But again, we will find he cannot stay long. That for the most probably that those who are uh, novices, maybe for half an hour, they can just uh, enjoy the bliss of meditation. For some, it's more. 
What is that bliss which comes from? It comes from a state of flow. That the more absorbed you are in your object of contemplation, the more the other things falls off. It's a common experience in our life. The more we are concentrated in something, the other things falls off. Like your hunger, thirst. In your day-to-day life, there are so many other ways. Those who are extremely, that uh, what you say, that uh, passionate about certain things, who have developed a skill in arts, a surgeon while performing surgery. For hours together, they don't feel tired, nothing. It's only after the surgery is over, they will feel that they're tired, they're exhausted, they are hungry. Why they don't feel? Because their mind was so concentrated. Maybe for eight hours, he was performing the surgery. His mind was so concentrated in that, other things naturally falls off. So one who becomes adept in this life to be more and more absorbed in something, their chance to gravitate again to this plane of existence gets minimized. Why? Because it is the bodily feelings that gravitates us down to this plane of existence. It is our hunger, our thirst, our need to procreate, our need for enjoyments. These are the things for which without physical body we can never think of. These are the urges which gravitates us down again to this physical plane of existence. If I can enjoy in contemplation in my mind where the body as if is not there, though the body is there, you don't feel of it. After death, nothing is there to weigh you down again to this physical plane of existence. In the Yoga Sutra, they speak of Videha. The Videha state speaks of that, that the more you can enter into the state of flow through your contemplation, the more you get established in that, the more I mean, this likely the chances are there. You won't be immediately again weighed down to this physical plane of existence. You will be enjoying in a higher plane where you exist as the Shukshma Sharira, which is the mind and mind alone in your contemplation. That has become the habitual state of your life. So those are the plans which can be attained through Satya. How that we will try to understand. Satyanapantha Vitata Devayana The one who is established in truth. He may not have practiced contemplation, but he can be transported to that plane of existence where the need, the bodily urges don't come back. He can continue in that state. And from there, he can even go to the state of the ultimate Atyantika Mukti liberation, where the, finally, even the Shukshma Sharira falls off to enable him to merge with the Absolute. All the koshas falls off. So, that's being spoken of. That So, by the truth, we can, through the Devayana, we can, Akramanti means we can gradually ascend. Akramanti, to ascend gradually. To ascend to that highest abode of truth. Yatra tat satyasya paramam nidhanam. And by ascending to that, what happens? We all our desires become satisfied, whose every desire has as has as as if been satisfied, he becomes aptakama. So all these words are very significant. That how in the deep contemplation all the desires get satisfied. We can easily understand. We will 
go to the uh, discussion, full discussion, that the real discussion, that how truth alone takes us to the tra- absolute uh, reality that uh, we will discuss. First, let us try to understand that, that spiritual contemplation can lead to the fulfillment of all desires. You become Aptakama. Aptakama means who has nothing else to desire. All his desires has been fulfilled. How it happens? You know, day-to-day life, let us take. They say, I have thousands of desires. But what is the nature of the sensual desires? It has a lot of limitations. It can never give me ultimate pleasure. When I am enjoying a delicacy, what has what happens when I'm testing, I'm already developed an urge for the second. And I take the second, the third, while preparing the delicacy, I have spent most probably three, four hours to enjoy the meal. How much time it takes to take the meal? With now even half an hour is more than enough. It's over because once I'm satiated, I cannot continue with that enjoyment. All the sensed enjoyments have a satiation. It's very, very time limited. It's over. Now you are frustrated. You cannot continue with that. And again, the urge comes back. That at When I want to enjoy, I find that the enjoyment is over after some, that's within a very short time. And then again, it comes back. So I get obsessed. I can, my desires are never fulfilled. I'm never satisfied. So that is this nature of all the sensed pleasures. I can never continue with it. It's very, very limited. But now let us come to the other type of nature, which is not exactly sensed pleasure. That I have developed a skill like playing a musical instrument or singing classical song, or painting, or even skill, any skills you have to develop, even a skiing, you will find now the time is not the factor. When your skills have met the challenge, not at the beginning, first you have to develop the skill. The challenge is much higher than your skill. When the skill meets the challenge, you enter into a state of flow. And now the enjoyment is not limited that just like taking a meal, it is just over within five minutes, it's done. Here you can continue, go on, go on, go on. And when you have developed this type of happiness, the other happiness naturally falls off. And you don't want to force. That's why even for a drug addict, when they are in the rehabilitation camp, what the attempt is to help them develop some test, good test, like gardening or whatever it may, or some other which needs some skills with which they develop some test. If they can do that, that continuation in that will automatically help them to get rid of all sorts of other obsessions. So this, there's other two types of happiness. The happiness, which in the modern psychology they speak of, which comes through that flow is something far, far superior than the ordinary sensed pleasures. Once you develop that flow in any type of parzit, the other desires naturally fall off. So now you will understand the word aptakama. That when 
one is contemplating has never has become an adept in contemplating on the self all the desires he has as he has become an adept he has entered into a state of flow that contemplation makes him forget everything else and he can continue in that state indefinitely so naturally all other desires have naturally fallen off he has become aptakama this is possible only by practicing satya so through contemplation it is possible that we understand that how by practicing satya it is possible that's been stressed in this mantra that importance of satya as sri ramakrishna used to say that koli yuge satya tapasya in this yuga practicing truthfulness is tapas why it is tapas because at each and every step of life stage of life you will find that unless somehow i am compromising with the truth i cannot exist but if someone is bold enough to say no i am not going to compromise with the truth it can take him to that immediate higher planes of existence how see when when then the society is ideal society practicing truth is easy and that way what happens you get established in sattva and it may take years to ages birds together to get rid of the bondage of sattva what the sattva is that you have developed a deep uh, what you say that uh, um, skill in meditation you enter into that flow but still the self is remaining that i am the meditator there is an object of meditation it is giving me a bliss you are still holding on to your ego though this ego has been purified from the dross but it is a pure sattva with which you are still bound as sri swami vivekananda used to say golden chain is also a chain iron chain is also a chain in satya yuga you will find that rishis are meditating for thousands of years as they are saying to ultimately go to the liberation but they say in this yuga the liberation can be instantaneous how so when there is external opposition factors are not there you get an ideal life for contemplation you easily go to the state of sattva the state of flow but from there you cannot transcend you continue there but when you are practicing satya it can give you immediate it can take you beyond the ego immediately and take you to the liberation so we will gradually try to understand how it happens that truth why is it is so much important first let us see that that even in our day to day life even to have tranquility of our mind the truth is the thing which is needed without practicing truthfulness you can never have tranquility why because truth is a fact it need not be created suppose something has happened and i speak the truth what has happened whether it goes in favor of me or not i say the truth the fact so i didn't i don't make up story but for untruth you have to make up the story untruth is always created and when you create something a story you create you have to remember because again the next time your version may be different and when the version gets a bit different you have to create another untruth so the truth can never stand on its own feet it always needs a crutch 
you will find at last my life becomes a bundle of untruth. One to substantiate one truth, another untruth I have to discover. The truth need not be memorized. It need not be created. There is no need to create it. It is the fact. What is, you just simply say it, whether it is in favor of you or not. It doesn't need any crutch to stand. As a result, truth is carefree. Yet whatever may be the consequences I have told, it in no way makes me careworn. Untruth always makes you careworn. You're constantly being chased by the consequences of the untruth. I have told what is going to happen. You're going to discover another untruth. So that way you will find that untruth can never give peace of mind. Whatever may be the consequences, when I, what you say that always adhere to the truth, it at first of all thing, it gives me a type of tranquility. But you may say it's not easy. It's very difficult. Why it's difficult? But in our life, we will find that constantly, because we are compromising with the truth, our consciousness is becoming crooked. It never remains straight. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, a sadhu who is a sadhu whose heart is just straight and broad. When he went to the Viti road for the first time, Barakput Trunk Road, in, in those days in Calcutta, that was considered to be the, the longest road and it was quite broad. Here, Ramakrishna have never seen such broad, straight road. That road is such, it is totally straight. There's no bent in it. Seeing that road, he immediately went into Samadhi, deep into Samadhi. When he came back from Samadhi, what he told was interesting, that this road is like the heart of a holy man, straight and wide, no crookedness. Why our consciousness gets crookedness? Because we all want to follow the truth, but we lack the courage. In this life, you will find again and again what happens when there is some resisting factor. My own selfishness, just to preserve myself, just to save myself, I easily compromise with the truth. To go to the comfort zone, to the security zone, I compromise the truth. Throughout our life it happens. And immediately our mind gets, it loses its tranquility. It becomes crooked. It's just like a river. You'll find a river is never straight. It always takes curved path. Why it takes curved path? When it is coming down from the mountains, the moment it finds some rocky terrain, immediately it will turn towards the soft soil. It has a tendency to turn towards the soft soil whenever it finds rocky terrain. Similarly, that in our life, whenever we find that rocky terrain, some huge resistance, immediately we take a deviated path. But in this mantra, it is saying that if you are established in truth, it can take you to the immediate realization. How? The one who loves an ideal is, one is bound to have tremendous courage. Courage comes from love. Love is not feminine. It, is, it speaks of strength. It speaks of tremendous strength. It is not effeminate. I won't say feminine. The effeminate means even uh, the one who is feminine need not be effeminate. Effeminate means that always that namby-pamby uh, attitude. 
love doesn't speak of that we generally think that love is something namby pamby no it speaks of tremendous courage see the love of the mother the young mother when she's swami is giving vivekananda is giving an example when she's passing through the street just hearing the barking of a dog she runs and the next day if a lion is in its presence and she is holding the child today she is ready to give her life for saving the child from where that courage came from love so when we love an idea that i will never deviate from truth it gives a tremendous courage you become just the way the mother is ready to give the child that your ideal is as if your child you protect it that way then what happens immediately there is a relinquishing of the ego our ego speaks of our own security my own this existence i that's what the ego ego always speaks of me that to save myself i am ready to give away my ideal but if i in, in no circumstance of life even if it is at the cost of my life if i am ready to stand by the truth it can immediately relinquish i can immediately relinquish the ego it falls off immediately just see in satya yuga when everything is ideal you have gone to that state of sattva but you are holding on to that but here without any practice just by holding on to that what is the ideal where just for the sake of ideal you are ready to sacrifice anything the ego falls off immediately that's why even in bhagavad gita we find this is dharma yuddha the dharma yuddha is an is a door which opens up you for the higher planes of existence when you are ready to even sacrifice anything even your life for the truth know it for certain that can immediately annihilate your ego it can uh, attenuate your ego and that speaks of that higher evolution it takes you to that higher plane of existence when the ego has fallen off how it falls off because of the tremendous love the love for the ideal has made you fall off of the ego and now once the ego has fallen off there are two things that when you go to the flow the there's the more and more the ego falls off and when the ego falls off you can spontaneously be in a state of flow automatically so that's the thing when we it, you have to take into that higher plane just by adhering to the truth so this speaks of it is not that the you have immediately got authentic mukti you go to that higher plane and now you can as it is the realm of contemplation you with your contemplation you can still progress in your spiritual journey to ultimately reach the absolute so it's a path of krama mukti this gradual liberation by following the path of devayana which is possible just by practicing the truth so that's why the truth has been highlighted so much in this mantra the first they spoke of truth tapas samyak gyana brahmacharya the four practices and then in this mantra only the truth has been highlighted to say that if you practice truth the other practices naturally follow your love for the ideal makes you practice the other tapas automatically happens that as you adhere to the truth whatever may be the resistance you are ready to forbear so tapas automatically happens brahmacharya automatically happens 
because you are ready to forsake all the trivial pleasures of life. <clears throat> and so these are the things, this Samya Jnana. Samya Jnana means that whenever there is a chance of the falling of your ego, naturally it speaks of Samya Jnana, that it's not me. Any ideal, what it speaks of? It speaks of the collective goodness. Any ideal, what is good, that which speaks of collective goodness. The only definition of goodness is which speaks of the collective welfare. Whenever I am think, uh, giving myself more importance than others, that is evil. Wherever that I am thinking of the collective goodness, collective welfare, that is good. So that speaks of the Samya Jnana, that I am not giving interest, I am not giving importance to my this petty ego. It is, the ideal is all the ideas are established in that idea. It is for the welfare of all. So that way, when you are practicing truth, the Samya Jnana automatically follows. So all those practices automatically follows if you are getting established in truth. So that's why truth has been given so much importance that itself, by practicing the truth alone, it can take you to the higher realm of spiritual existence. And that's why Sri Ramakrishna, again and again, we'll find in the gospel is indicating the je shatte roeche she bhagavane kole shuyache. The one who is established in truth is as if sleeping in the lap of God, in the simple plain language of Ramakrishna, that he is saying, that's being indicated in this sixth mantra. So what is that highest abode which is attained by the truth? After it has been spoken of, they will now describe that highest abode in the seventh mantra, which again we will take up in the next class. So with this, we conclude our class today. Thank you all. Namaskars.